Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm Evan Gottesman, uh, one of your hosts and the Associate Director of Policy and Communications at Israel Policy Forum. And I'm joined on the line uh, by Eli Koaz, our Communications Director, who's recording from a mystery location to be revealed at the end of this episode. So now you have to listen all the way through. <laughs> Hi, Evan. It's great to be with you from uh, this undisclosed location. Uh, in the southern hemisphere, I'll give you that. Okay, so we we have a hint. It, it could be, you know, it's still that that accounts for literally fifty percent of the world. Not in Israel. Not in Canada. Not in the United States. Not you're, in you're not in, you're not in Greenland. Greenland's out. Not in Greenland. Not in Iceland. Not in Svalbard. Um, okay, so we have a couple of topics to address today. Uh, there's. As always, a lot going on in the news about Israel and a lot to break down. So we have the uh, crisis in the Israeli coalition uh, after the early election scare. Israel uh, legally uh, has to go to elections by November 2019, but there could be early elections if the the coalition breaks apart. So that's something that's been in the headlines. We have Israel's relations with the Arab and Muslim worlds as Benjamin Netanyahu continues to try to expand Israel's uh, stature in these previously off-limits areas. And then we have the uh, fallout from the Airbnb decision last week to delist Jewish settlements in the West Bank. So a lot to unpack, and uh, let's get right into it with the coalition crisis. The Israeli government has shrunk to a bare majority of just 61 seats, and that's just you know 50% plus one. So definitely they've been they've been running into some troubles, as I understand. Definitely. The coalition is definitely hanging on a thread um, in terms of uh, people where everybody was was sure that there were going to be elections. And uh, uh, there were reports uh, the night before uh, the the Jewish. Let's let's take a step back just for our listeners who may not be up to speed with everything in Israeli politics. You just mentioned the Jewish Home Party and the speculation that their leader, Naftali Bennett, who's the education minister, would resign. But, you know, we have to, we have to start at, at the beginning. Avigdor Lieberman, the defense minister and the leader of the Yisrael Beitenu Party, resigned uh, in protest of the ceasefire with Hamas in Gaza. And that brought the coalition down to this bare majority. And with him out as defense minister, Naftali Bennett, the head of the Jewish Home Party, now said he wanted to be defense minister. Pretty much. And this this all points to this kind of there's a battle um, on uh, Netanyahu's right between uh, Lieberman and, and uh, Naftali Bennett, uh, kind of trying to outflank Netanyahu uh, and take uh, votes uh, from his uh, right wing base. So once Lieberman... Once Lieberman resigned, it really put Bennett in an interesting uh, place because if Bennett decides to just stay in, Bennett always talks tough against Hamas and says that uh, his saying is that uh, Israelis who voted right, they get left. Um, and he represents the real right wing. So once Lieberman resigned, it put him in a very uh, interesting situation. And the expectation was uh, that he was going to resign. Um, he did it, but he didn't, and he, he kind of exactly. He scheduled a press conference with Ayelet Shaked, uh, Minister of Justice, his number two, and uh, 
to everybody's surprise, they said that they're staying in the government. Um, and there are a bunch of different uh, reasons. Nobody's sure exactly why. Um, one uh, is that uh, Bennett uh, wasn't ready to fully take on uh, uh, Netanyahu uh, because if he if he if he would have decided to uh, to leave the coalition, that would have led directly to to elections. Um, another calculation uh, is that uh, maybe he, he thinks that uh, the Bayatayudi are not in that good of a position, or if he thinks this will give him leverage with Netanyahu uh, uh, in the future. But uh, very interesting, to, to say the least. It, it's interesting that you, you're you suggesting that he thinks this might give him leverage in the future because my impression was that he kind of came out looking sort of used. You know, he criticized Netanyahu in his press conference, but with all this expectation built up that he would resign, that he, he had this... Ulti- he basically, he issued Netanyahu an ultimatum, and he backed down from his own ultimatum. He said, you make me defense minister... Or I'm going to leave the government. I'm going to take my party out of the government, and you won't have your majority anymore. And there will have to be uh, early elections. And he withdrew his own ultimatum. And so it, yeah. I, I don't see no, how he really comes it, out of this looking stronger. Um, he doesn't come out. He doesn't. He doesn't come out looking stronger. But I think that he's not. He, it's not fully burning a bridge with Netanyahu and with the Likud. Uh, with the Likud, even more particular, I think it's clear that Bennett's ultimate goal is to be prime minister of Israel. And I don't think he, he, he knows that he probably can't do that through the Jewish home party. And, uh, so I think it's, a, it was a bit at some point, uh, he, he definitely wants to jump in and, and I don't in, in some sort of situation be, uh, contest for Likud leadership to be, to, to lead Israel's, uh, dominant right wing party. Um, and I, I just don't think he was ready to take on this battle. I mean, Netanyahu has a track record of really destroying uh, political uh, rivals. And I think that once Bennett made uh, that ultimatum, he thought about it overnight and came to the decision that it was maybe too soon or that it wasn't the time. Um, but I think uh, the rest is just uh, well, a I, I guess we'll, we'll take any future ultimatums from Bennett with a grain of salt. But... Moving on from the interactions between the parties and the threat of a coalition collapse, now that the dust has settled, we have this 61-member government. And it hasn't been easy for Netanyahu to manage this. You know, He came out on top in terms of not having early elections, uh, at least for now, but the government has now had trouble... Uh, pushing through items on its own agenda. There was this uh, cultural loyalty bill that Miri Regev, the culture minister, uh, had been pushing that they couldn't get the votes for. And uh, Netanyahu also, you know, with the visit of the president of Chad to Israel uh, to reestablish diplomatic relations, Netanyahu was supposed to make a visit to reciprocate um, and to go to that Central African country but he's going to have to schedule that around the Knesset's uh, own meetings because, you know, you can't have one person missing from your government when it has a one-person majority. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, just uh, I mean, let's just to push the point a bit further. You had uh, 
uh, Sharon Haskell, who is, I think she's a low-ranking uh, Likud MK, and she was forced to come to Knesset with an IV uh, and just straight from hospital because they needed her for a vote. Um, I actually bumped into Oren Chazan at an airport in Miami, frantically trying to get back to Israel uh, because of uh, <laughs> the the dwindling coalition. And with uh, with this bill in particular, this this uh, really became uh, Miri Regev's uh, bill more than anything. Um, the idea was that the culture ministry, uh, which she heads, would have the power to withhold funding a uh, specific project based on political criteria. Um, this was obviously very controversial um, across the board. And uh, and it was Benny Begin who said that he wouldn't vote in for it. Benny Begin, obviously the son of uh, former Prime Minister Menachem Begin, who's uh, he's not really thought of as a... Uh, as a powerful voice in the Likud, but he kind of is the last remnant of what was known as the old Likud, and he has these uh, liberal uh, values that kind of don't really exist in the Likud today. So after that, and it was clear that this vote would, would come down to the wire, uh, Kulanu and Moshe Kahlon's, uh party decided they, they also wouldn't endorse uh, this bill just because yeah, Ka- of Kaplan, their... Uh, Kaplan kind of took an easy route on that. He told his party they could like vote their conscience. He didn't say vote for it. He didn't say vote against it. He kind of just said, do what you want, which is... Uh, it's safe to say that there would be a, there would be a definite split if not uh, the majority in his party would, uh, would, oppose, would oppose the bill. So uh, that bill... By the way, speaking, is, speaking of Oren Hazan, you mentioned that you saw Oren Hazan at the airport... Uh, he could have been a problem for the coalition also because um, I, I don't know if he's still suspended, but he, he had been suspended for uh, making a really uh, crude and, and inappropriate comments about Ilan Gilon, a Merit member of Knesset who has a physical disability, and he, he made fun of him for that, which is really, yeah, yeah, really sick. He called him a half-man, a chatsi ben adam in Hebrew. Uh, it can be uh, interpreted as... Uh, as kind of uh, just calling him dumb, but but there was a clear. Uh, yeah, I think the, but, the, I the, mean, connota- the connotation was clear. Yeah, of course. I mean, I don't know. It's clear that Oren Hazard doesn't really think uh, think before he he opens his mouth. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, Ilan Gilon is in a wheelchair. He had been suspended for, for making those comments. Two weeks, comments. and I think uh, yeah, he was suspended for two weeks, I believe, and I think this was towards the end of his. Uh, Suspension, and there have been a lot of even on the opposition. There have been a lot of uh, criticism uh, uh, on those uh, on Knesset members who have had trips uh, abroad and are missing Knesset sessions because of these. There are really important votes that every vote now in the Knesset is it's not a sure thing because I mean you have 61 coalition members, but you have like just Benny Begin, for example, is not going to support what's on the the uh, this government's. Uh, agenda, at least a, a good chunk of it. So every vote is kind of up in the air. And uh, this government, I mean, some of uh, Likud members are saying it can last the, until November. I think that's uh, very, very unlikely. I think this is a good opportunity. You were mentioning that uh, the coalition, the government is discouraging members of Knesset, specifically members of the government, from traveling abroad, lest they miss key votes. 
And that might be something that comes up as Prime Minister Netanyahu pursues his ambitious diplomatic agenda, which has been on full display this week uh, as Israel reestablishes relations with the uh, Central African country of Chad, whose uh, President Idris Deby was in Israel uh, this past weekend. And that's a country that broke off relations with Israel in 1972. So, so yeah, I mean, this is also the, I mean, Netanyahu uh, has almost like prided himself on being able to, in a way, like bypass the Palestinian issue and make uh, all these relations with uh, Muslim majority countries and uh, several countries in Europe, uh, mostly countries with a uh, far uh, right-wing government, the Czech Republic uh, being the latest to be in the headlines. But there were reports about uh, formalizing or normalizing relationship with Bahrain. Uh, Netanyahu was in uh, Oman. Right. Uh, These are Ar- Arab, is- go- Arab Gulf countries that don't have relations with Israel. Um, I want to stop for a second on Chad, though, because that's you know that that's the the only one of these countries that has explicitly called to reestablish relations with Israel. Um, the other ones have kind of spoken in vague terms, like uh, you know they'll say we recognize Israel as a reality in the region, or Israel is a state with the same obligations as other states in the region. But they're not, they're not explicitly you know I, I wouldn't expect uh, you know I'm open to be being proven wrong, but I would not expect a Bahraini ambassador to show up in Tel Aviv anytime yeah, soon. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, I mean, but, Chad are obviously, obviously Chad is a country where, I mean, uh, I don't think they're a part of the like Arab League. The, uh, the Palestinian issue is like probably not a defining uh, uh, thing among, among their, uh, their population. Um, and so there's a bit, I'm sure there's a bit more uh, flexibility for a country like Chad, which can just get all this if they, it's kind of a uh, relationship. I mean, I know you've you've written a lot about this. Israel will presumably give Chad a bunch of technological uh, uh, di- different technologies that can help them, uh, especially where Chad's located. Obviously, there's a lot of with irrigation and a lot of uh, droughts and, and climate, and Israel has a lot to offer. And at the same time, Netanyahu can make an announcement to the world. Look at all these. Uh, friendships I've been able to create, like, I don't need to deal with the Palestinians. I became friends with, like, with Chad, and now we have, so, I mean, that's, uh, I mean, you can expand on that. Right, the, the, the historic Israel-Chad alliance. But, I mean, not not to take the win totally out of these accomplishments or, or advancements, but um, I, I kind of touched on this when I wrote on this issue after the uh, Oman visit, um, and I wrote about that in, in Haaretz. Um Chad, so Chad is a country in Central Africa. They broke off their relations in 1972. Um, between 1967 and the aftermath of the Yom Kippur War in 1973, there were a whole lot of countries in Africa, um, I think 25 to be exact, that broke off their relations with Israel under pressure from the Arab League, um, under pressure from the Soviet Union and the, the Eastern European bloc, um, because they were sponsoring the Arab states in their wars with Israel. And, you know, these are factors that just aren't relevant anymore. So it's not like, like you mentioned, Eli, you know, Chad, the Palestinian issue is not a defining issue for them. You know, it's a Muslim majority country, but 
Um, it's probably not the core of their national identity. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that their own, I mean, their own battles with uh, different terror groups inspired by ISIS and uh, Boko Haram are are kind of a a higher priority for even for for the, both the people people living there and for the government. Right, and, and it's just a little, you know, it's 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 geographically and culturally and politically distant from the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in a way more so than even the the Arab states. So this is a country that that was probably you know, dragged into cutting off its relations with Israel in the 1970s. And now, you know, it's 2018. There is no Cold War. Um, the Arab League's outlook on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is even more different because, you know, the early 1970s, that was the era of the three no's, um, that, that intransigent position that the Arab League, the Arab League put forward that they wouldn't negotiate with Israel even on the basis of a withdrawal from the occupied territories. Um, now the Arab League has the Arab Peace Initiative, where they say that um, have a two-state solution and we'll, you know, we'll uh, embrace and normalize with Israel. Um, so that's totally different. Uh, like I said, there's no Cold War. That's obviously over. There's no Soviet Union. So there's no real major outside force that's pushing these African countries to distance themselves from Israel. And before they broke off their relations with Israel in the 1970s, a lot of these African countries had very close relations with Israel um, already. So it's just reestablishing kind of a relationship that had been on standby for several decades. And um, but you brought up Bahrain and that's different because Bahrain is an an Arab Gulf state. So uh, what do you think of that? I mean, uh, Bahrain and and, uh, uh, two countries that are are, uh, quite uh, wealthy and they they share a uh, this uh, kind of alliance uh, as the the, the pragmatic uh, Sunni states that also uh, fear uh, Iran, um, and so that is it's kind of a natural. Uh, there, there's natural cooperation to be had, but at the same time, uh, it's super tricky uh, just because of the Palestinian issue, and it, it just I think it pushes forward the point that that. I mean, Netanyahu, I'm sure in the next election cycle, he'll talk about all these relationships that he's made with, with these countries and how the, he, he, every speech he gives to the UN, he mentions that the world is changing. But at the same time, there, 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 are, there is like a glass, a glass ceiling. Um, and until, uh, if you just look at the countries that these relationships have been made with, both in the Gulf, uh, in Africa and in Europe, they're countries that, that in the Gulf, for example, they can't. He hasn't gotten into the point where he's been able to uh, normalize uh, relations with any uh, with any Arab countries. Right, and a lot a lot of those meetings that that Israeli officials have had in the Gulf have also taken place under the auspices of an international uh, organization having a meeting. I mean, yeah, um, I mean, so these are the... really yeah, yeah. These are really really really. I mean, they're they're minor accomplishments. I mean, like the the Israel judo team. Uh, Participated in in, uh, in Dubai in a Abu Dhabi, uh, Abu Dhabi in Abu Dhabi. Sorry, Same country. sorry in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, in Abu Dhabi they participated uh, in a judo uh, competition, international judo competition, and the Israeli flag was shown. Israel also won uh, two gold medals, I believe, and Hatikva was played. These are things that do like 
In terms of, but, but that was, by the way, that was after the International uh, Judo Federation threatened uh, the the United Arab Emirates and said that you won't be able to host this competition if you don't, you know, treat all countries equally, meaning Israel and the UAE, as we know, wants to be like this global destination, this like you know, Dubai and Abu Dhabi are these kind of happening places, so they probably prioritized yeah. that. But I mean, the average Israeli probably didn't hear about the. Uh, the International Judo Federation decision, but they obviously did see the video of Hatikva being played in Abu Dhabi. And for them, this is, look, look, Netanyahu, wow, what an accomplishment. He, now we're competing in these Gulf countries, they're playing Hatikva. So you see the message that, that it sends, and it obviously uh, it works well for Netanyahu's, uh, for the idea that he's trying to promote that he can really bypass the Palestinian issue. But I think me and you both agree that it's kind of a, a fairy tale, and there is a glass ceiling which you won't be able to uh, to break. Yeah. Uh, before we move on to a topic that we might agree on a little less, um, I want to just you know leave maybe our listeners with one thing to think about, which is that I wonder what happens once it becomes more clear that Israeli expectations are out of step with what the Arab states are willing to deliver, because right now. You know, they're willing to host some Israeli officials under the auspices of an international agency meeting, both because they're obligated to, um, you know, some of these international organizations, like we mentioned with the judo competition, will not allow these Arab countries to host if they don't allow all members to show up. Um, and also because it gives them cover. If they want to have a meeting with Israel or with an Israeli official, um, it gives them a little cover with their, their publics which may, you know, have a popular anti-Israel sentiment. And some of them might even be willing to have these photo ops in public with Netanyahu and other officials, uh, like we saw happen in Oman and the UAE. But like we both said, I don't think there's going to be normalization without the two-state solution um, or, or movement on that. That's the, the core of the Arab Peace Initiative. And, you know, there's no reason for them to suddenly abandon this now. And by the way, none of this is coming from Saudi Arabia which is the main proponent of the Arab Peace Initiative and the, the central member of the Gulf Cooperation Council and that, that Gulf Arab it's, Alliance. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't even think it needs to be, I mean, you said like a two-state solution. It can just be, uh, I mean, it, it has to be in that direction. But even if there was like a statement from the, the government that, that the intention was a two-state solution and there was some sort of uh, a change in behavior um, I, it, it would really open all these all these doors. Um, and so it's. Uh, I, I don't know yeah. that you would get full. You know, I, I know when we talk about a two state solution, we're talking about something that, that that may be decades and decades off. But I don't know that you would get full normalization outside of a, a comprehensive agreement. But you would get real progress yeah, or in that a direction. comprehensive, even a comprehensive framework uh, toward an agreement. I think the process could get started uh, uh, pretty quickly. But obviously, uh, it's not going to come. This coalition, it, 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 right? Sorry. I mean, there there are steps short of full normalization that these countries could take. That you know, allowing Israeli passport holders to travel, or El Al flying over these countries in their flights to East Asia, like the, right. the kind of uh, exactly. Those kind of steps. Exactly. So, so, so there's 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 a lot of room for progress, and the fact that everyone you know gets really excited when they just play the Hatikva, the the judo competition, they play everyone's national anthem if you're a medalist. So, um, I think that just shows how much room there is left uh, for things to change in the future. But uh, you know, I think we're having a little too much agreement. 
So I know there's uh, one topic in the news that you and I may be on a little, not exactly the same page about, which is the, the Airbnb. I don't, uh, th- I don't think we disagree as much as you think we disagree. All right. Well, but, um, let's, let's lay out the topic first for our listeners before we, 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 we air our, our position. So, um, Airbnbs, you know, every, everyone knows the rental service where people rent out rooms or even full apartments or, or homes uh, around the world. Um, it's very popular. It's very affordable. It lets you kind of like live in the the heart of you know whatever city you're visiting. And full disclosure, I, I've stayed at an Airbnb in Israel in Haifa. It was a very good experience. I, I would recommend my host if I could remember her name. Um, but uh, they delisted uh, properties in Jewish settlements in the West Bank uh, after coming under pressure from a bunch of pro-BDS groups, uh, U.S. Campaign for Palestinian Rights, I think, was involved, uh, Jewish Voice for Peace, and not only those groups, but also Human Rights Watch, another NGO, uh, put pressure on them to do this. Um, And there's also the pending release of a list of companies that do business in the uh, West Bank and the Israeli-occupied territories uh, coming out from the UN Human Rights Council and from the Human Rights Watch organization. So this has really elicited a range of opinions, you know, from people thinking it's, it's a double standard, it's anti-Israel, some people have even said anti-Semitic, to people saying this is the right thing to do to distinguish between sovereign Israel or, or Israel proper, as people sometimes call it, and the, the territories. So what's your take, Eli? I mean, I think the decision isn't surprising, and I think uh, if Israel continues its current uh, course and continues electing uh, right-wing governments, uh, you can expect uh, more of this. Um, uh, My issue with Airbnb's decision is the fact that this is the first boycott of its kind by Airbnb. I mean, you have houses... You can rent Airbnb properties in every other uh, country or place where there is a uh, an occupation. Not uh, not in the Crimea. I I searched for the Crimea. I was looking for a vacation spot. Well, I think I I think that's because there just is no there are no uh, Airbnb. No, I I know it's not it's not a matter of policy. No one's just renting. Okay, true, true. But I mean, but I, I saw a headline recently that now Airbnb is turning to the Western Sahara. Uh, Occupied by Morocco, I believe, um, yep. uh, uh, as its next step, and I think this is probably a result from all the criticism that they've received uh, after making uh, uh, this uh, decision. But I think the problem is that this is a clear like singling out of uh, of Israel, and uh, but it's something that will happen again, like again and again, until Israel realizes that the world is not going to accept uh the status quo as the permanent uh as the permanent status um i think what israel's doing that's particularly dangerous is i mean i think it was uh uh the minister of tourism uh, yariv levine uh yariv levine yeah who said that uh airbnb will 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 pay for this and we're not going to use airbnb in israel anymore and all these these kind of like absurd, uh, right? And that that, really that, that would impact a lot of people because there were you know two hundred properties in the in the territories that were impacted, but I in mean, Israel, let me tell you, the ho- hotels, 
the hotels on the Tel Aviv beach front would be very happy. But in general, the idea that uh, Israel is kind of saying if you want to boycott settlements, you want to boycott Israel, it, it's a very dangerous basket. And you don't want to open it because you just there's so many people in the world, so many countries that fully accept Israel's right to exist within uh, the 67 borders in the context of a two-state solution. But there are a lot of people that have problems with the settlements, and it's legitimate to have issues with the settlements. I also think it's legitimate to boycott issues, uh, to boycott uh, settlements. Uh, I mean, I don't agree with it, but I think it's completely legitimate. And if you want to put those people in the same basket as uh, real anti-Semites and real like anti-Zionists, you're you're playing with fire. It's 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 very very dangerous. Right. I, I, I also, when people say they boycott the settlements, I always find it interesting because there's so much business back and forth across the green line. And I think it's less a practical um, move that you're actually totally divesting yourself of any kind of economic relationship with, uh, with the land east of the green line. And it's more like a statement that I, I won't normalize the settlements. Because realistically, if you go to Israel, uh, you know, you're, you're probably going to, money will probably pass between your hands and the hands of people who are going to uh, go to places that are outside Israel's internationally recognized borders. Um, you know, there's just so, you know, there's just, uh, you know, there's not really a clear demarcation. Uh, there's no border uh, you know, physical border. I mean, you have the security barrier and, and the fence, uh, but there isn't really a, a physical border in the sense that we think about in terms of international boundaries um, passing between Israel and some of the settlements. So I think it's more of a statement. You know, when people say they boycott the settlements, they're saying, like, they won't normalize the settlements or view them in the same uh, context as they view the rest of Israel. Um, I guess the point where I disagree with you is that is in terms of singling out because everyone is always going to have their pet issue and everyone is always going to start with some issue. And, and, you know, the, the other, other countries that have been criticized and targeted for their human rights records are not always the, the worst, uh, offender in the world. And certainly Israel is, 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 is not the worst offender, uh, even among its immediate neighbors. I mean, it's, it borders Syria where, where, you know, where, where it's been, um, you know, two, over 200,000 civilians killed in, in the past uh, several years and largest refugee crisis since the Second World War. So, um, you know, that that's that. But I, I don't have an issue that they were necessarily the first one. I, I, I'm not comfortable with the organizations that initiated this. Obviously, I'm not a fan of JVP and, and, and some of those other groups, but... Um, you know, it's, I just think it's it's absurd for an organization to decide it's implementing this policy that addresses human rights, and like it's 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 a policy that addresses human rights, and for them to only pick Israel. If you're going to do something of this nature, like do your research, find places across the world that don't that like that uh, the company feels uh, feels like it's important for like to make some statement about, and then implement the policy as a whole because it it, it looks like they're picking like an issue that's it's like a trendy thing to boycott Israel. It's not as trendy to boycott Western Sahara or to boycott uh, places uh, in, Syri- in, in Syria or to 
I mean, it's it's not the same. I, I, I take your point, but I, I also, you know, it, it, it is a, it is a trendy issue, and, and you know, Airbnb is is one of these you know Bay Area based country uh, yeah, companies yeah, where it's cool. yeah, it's cool. It's it, it's it's like drink, let's drink kombucha and boycott. And, and boycott I, I, Israel. And that, that's that's a little bit of a caricature, but but here's the thing: I, I I agree with you that that you know they're picking one case, but if you're Kombucha, Airbnb, if you're I, Airbnb, I, I, you, I apologize. Yeah. Yeah. If you're Airbnb and someone comes to you and says, "Do you uh, will you continue to operate in this area, uh, doing something that that endorses that that effectively normalizes something settlements?" that are in, in contravention of international law, um, according to uh, widely held interpretations of the, the Fourth Geneva Convention? Or are you going to say, um, no, because we don't want to single them out? They're prob- you know, it, it, that, that's the, the difficulty that I think comes up when Israel tries to blur the line between, between internationally recognized Israel and the settlements, is that uh, you know, it's hard for anyone to say, no, we're going to continue to operate in these areas. And Airbnb has said that they're going to go after Western Sahara, which I, I, I was surprised that they, they had listings there. But I, I did do some looking on their website. They do have listings in northern Cyprus, which is occupied by Turkey and administered by a Turkish puppet regime. They have listings in Sukhumi, in Abkhazia, which is occupied by Russia and Georgia. Um, and so, um, and, and also run by a Russian puppet entity there. So, yeah, I hope they delist in those, those places, too, because those are just as much um, an affront to international norms as the uh, settlements in the West Bank are. And, uh, you know, I think the problem is that is also the response that came out of some Israeli politicians. And Michael Oren said, why isn't Airbnb uh, boycotting listings in Western Sahara and, and Crimea and these other, and Northern Cyprus? And so Airbnb's response is, OK, let's look at boycotting Western Sahara. So the question was not "Don't single us out." We're we're not the worst offenders, or 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 you know you're mistreating us. The the thing that Oren put forward and his line was parroted by a lot of people is why can't we be aggressors and oppressors like everyone else? And that's not that's a that's not really a great way to sell a country. No, but I mean I think Michael Oren's point was that that there was I think I believe that in his uh, this was a tweet that he, he, it was, he yeah it was a tweet. This, he called this anti-Semitism, and I mean that line often obviously gets gets blurred, and we won't uh, we won't go into that on on uh, this episode. But I mean the idea again, like uh, the idea of just having Israel as the only place where this exists. I mean it, it has like a singling out, and obviously Israel being the only Jewish country, uh, country with a Jewish majority uh, in the world. Uh, it it there's like a bad vibe that comes with it. So, I mean, and obviously, I mean, it's expected from, uh, from Michael Oren to say something like that. I don't think it was that crazy of a statement. I, I, again, I think what was dangerous is, is blurring the line between a boycott of the settlements and boycotting Israel as a whole. Cause I know even the many like American Jews that love Israel and, and d- deeply care about Israel, they decide to boycott settlements. That's their decision. But, these aren't people that that uh, that hope like they don't they don't like pray for Israel's destruction. They don't pray for like they don't they're not happy when uh, when Hamas fire rockets on Israeli civilians. Uh, but you have there are real people, including the people that that came to uh, 
Airbnb uh, that proposed this, who who they they wish evil on Israel. And you can't put in liberal American Jews that decide to boycott settlements because they're uncomfortable with that Israeli policy and these people that these BDS supporters who don't want to see Israel exist. But you can't put them in the same basket. Uh, it's it's just it's 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 bad and it's and it's dangerous. No, so, absolutely, I mean, absolutely. And like I said, I, I'm not a fan of or, or especially comfortable with the people who put forward this initiative. But but again, putting myself in Airbnb's position, once this is put forward by by whomever puts it forward, it's hard to say no. But I think in, yeah, in, not, in the not, I, I think in the end think, in the uh, end it's I, kind I, of an I, own I, goal. Sorry, Evan. I don't I don't think I don't think it's hard. It's, I, I don't think it's hard to say no. I think it's it, 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 it's it's a much it's it would be fine if they said they could have easily said uh, we are reviewing our policy on areas that are under occupation. We are reviewing our human rights policies, and we will look to include the West Bank. I think that definitely could have uh, been done. I think this is something that I mean you, we don't have to give like. Airbnb, like, oh, like it was brought to them, therefore they had to implement it. Um, I, I, I don't really buy that. Um, I think they could have done this in, in a way that would have offended a lot less people and still would have, uh, it would have kind of gone along with their, uh, their, their like worldview and their like ideals and values that they want to promote uh, as a company. Um, right. But that, that's, I mean, it seems like they're going in that, the direction that you want them to go in with their reviewing their policy for well, Western Sahara. Yeah, again, again, I only think that's, that's because, I mean, I didn't see any mention of Western, there was no mention of Western Sahara in the post on their website. Western Sahara was only mentioned after like a plethora of criticism from every like angle. I mean, if you, if you looked at Michael Oren's tweet, the first response was by someone saying, oh, I've contacted my my, my my friend who's like an Airbnb senior executive, uh, uh, and I, I and I've complained to him about it. Uh, so I mean, it, it clearly was like a response, like to like damage control to not upset. I mean, Airbnb don't want they they don't want to choose across the world to boycott them. I'm sure. Uh, no, they, don't, they and they don't want to be kicked out of Israel. And, and there's also the other dimension that we haven't addressed, which is that several states in the United States have anti BDS laws. Which you know, I, I happen to disagree with on a free speech basis, and also that they those anti BDS laws tend to conflate boycotting the settlements with boycotting all of Israel. Um, but you know, agree or disagree with them, they they are the the laws that are enforced in those states, and that could impact Airbnb's operations in, in parts of the United States. So that yeah, they don't they don't want to uh, they don't want to invoke their uh, their wrath here. Um, I, I yeah, think, definitely. but I think the logical, the logical conclusion of this is not that they roll back their West Bank policy. It's that they extend it around the world. Um, and yeah, I think, I think that's the direction that they're going in. And yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, after they did this, which I disagree with, I think it's at least, at least better that they, that they show, uh, some consistency and not and uh, not single out Israel in this right. case. And I know, like, the last thing I'll say on this issue is that, I mean, I know at Israel Policy Forum, uh, we, it's very important to us to distinguish between uh, settlements. Uh, there are settlements that are deep uh, in the West Bank that are, that are put in place and are built in areas to, on, on, Palestinian, on private Palestinian land, or they're built in between two population 
centers in the West Bank. And then there are settlements that are just uh, uh, suburbs of Jerusalem or uh, suburbs of like Far Saba and their population. And we're talking about different populations. We're talking about different people. And the other, the other thing is that uh, in any uh, in any future peace agreement, about between seventy to eighty percent of uh, of the settler population will be annexed to Israel. So I mean, obviously, you can't pick and choose your your boycott, but it just I mean, this, like these kind of boycotts just don't really distinguish at all. So I think it's just important for listeners to know that there there are settlements that are real impediments to peace and a future two-state solution, but there are also settlements that are, are not an issue, and that is the majority of, of, of settlements. Right, although I, I would issue a small correction. You're entitled to, to your position, but they, they did clarify that this policy does not apply to East Jerusalem or to the Golan Heights, for that matter, which are also... You know, not really an issue on the world agenda, but I mean, technically I mean, yeah. I mean, illegal I mean, in the same yeah. way. Um, I mean, obviously, obviously, the Golan. I mean, I mean, that would right. be, again. That would be, that, that's kind of a that non-issue. Would be a, a kind gesture by Airbnb to, to Assad. I don't know how that would help their uh, their their human rights uh, uh, policy. Um, but I, I, and I, it's important issue. So yeah, yeah. No, that's that. The, the, yeah, no, that, that's important. That, yeah, that, that's important. But it's also, it's not just, I mean, it's not just like East Jerusalem, it's other areas too. And again, I don't expect Airbnb to, to go to that length, but it's just something right, that's right, important. Right, right, But I mean, I, to, 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 to wrap this up, um, I, think that, I think that it's totally legitimate to feel singled out, especially being on the border with Syria and, and all these other problem spots and, and the ongoing uh, Saudi-led war in Yemen and the famine and, and disease that that's uh, created. Um, I think it's totally legitimate to feel singled out. I also don't think Michael Oren's tweet was crazy. I, I just think it was uh, not the best way to put it. And I think, by the way, that even if the, the policy from the beginning had been to uh, exclude all occupied territories or all civilian settlements yeah. in occupied territories. Israel would, yeah, there would still be, yeah, they, they yeah, would, yeah, they would course. still, they would still wring their hands about it and, and it would just be a different line instead of being, why do you single us out as the only occupier it would be, why do you single us out as, you know, the yeah. only democracy in the Middle East or the only Jewish state and so on and so forth. And, and it might've been a harder case to make, but it, it I think people would have put the, for, the case forward. And, and lastly, in terms of the, the, the so-called consensus settlements, the settlements that are close to the green line that you had mentioned would most definitely be part of Israel under a two-state solution, and, and I agree with you in that assessment. Um, but I wouldn't extend them the benefit of the doubt. There had been the proposal put forward earlier this year by uh, Eitan Kabel, a member of Knesset for the Labor Party, to annex these uh, so-called consensus settlements. And I think that the people who live there, uh, a lot of them don't necessarily believe in a, a territorial compromise or, or an accommodation with the Palestinians, um, just because they live in these consensus settlements. And they would be happy to see their, their territory annexed to Israel uh, because they intend to continue expanding out, not necessarily up. Um, it's not going to place a limit. It's going to be rewarding them uh, for doing you know, nothing in particular. I, I definitely, I mean, I, I see that point. I also think a lot of the the uh, the settlers living uh, in the, the big settlements, they're either, I mean, I think it, it's mixed. I think it's a much more, I mean, you have in remote settlements, you have a lot more like 
of this like right like right wing uh, biblical settling the land. Right. I mean, sure, you, you have your economic settlers, the people who are there because it's subsidized yeah. and it's less expensive. Exactly. But exactly, exactly. So I mean, I think it, it's it's definitely. Um, important to make uh to make that d- d- distinction and i also think i mean you have like uh Mo'adine and Beitar Ali, which are just like haredi settlements which are virtually uh uh they sit on the green line um and you have like places like for example like which is right like adjacent to Kfarsaba that voted for Mahanetzioni in the last election so i mean it, it, it's kind of a mix but but i i do agree with you and obviously uh, Eitan Kabel, his proposal was, I mean, uh, most people in his party and in the opposition just said that he was, he was completely out to lunch and he had no idea because this was published in a, an op-ed he wrote in Haaretz. And uh, I don't know if he retracted it, but I know that his, his standing in the party plummeted as a result. Um, and it's obviously not something, uh, that the, the center left, uh, as a whole is, is proposing, but I do see your point. And unfortunately, uh, as we conclude, uh, I don't think we disagree on that much, Evan, and I'm uh, and I'm sorry. I, I don't know what you're sorry for, but it's okay. It's okay. I'm Canadian, I'm, I, I, I am I am originally Canadian, so I just apologize for for no reason. You are originally Canadian, but now you're uh, you're living in Israel, but you're in South Africa now, right? You're on an excursion. Yeah, this is yeah yeah I I am I'm uh, I'm actually near uh, Kruger Park at the moment. Uh, Saw some beautiful animals uh, uh, today. Uh, happy to be recording this podcast with you afterwards. Incredible. So uh, thanks for, for being on the show as always. And uh, we'll look forward to doing this again next time. And none of these issues are going away. You know, the issue of distinguishing settlements in Israel, the issue of Israel's relations with the Arab and Muslim worlds, and uh, certainly the elections, uh, the forthcoming elections, None of these are going away, so keep an eye out on all of these topics and uh, tune in next time to Israel Policy Pod. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can learn more about Israel Policy Forum's work on our website, www.israelpolicyforum.org, and on our social media accounts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Telegram. Thanks again for joining us.